so I love making note of what did the apostles preach and and noting what did they not preach. And so what they preached was the death, burial, and resurrection. Everywhere they went, starting in Jerusalem, you know, Judea, Samaria, the utter most parts of the world, Acts 1-8, that was their 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 plan. And so that every chance they had to talk, to preach to this audience, Jew, Gentile, you know, Athens, Mars Hill, it was all about Jesus. And and so it like I said, if you make notes on what they preached, and that that take up like one page in the notebook. Mm-hmm. And then you can devote the rest of the notebook to what they didn't preach. And pretty much what you would have is uh, Romans through Revelation, because that's where that belongs. Mm. We don't, uh, our relationship with God isn't, de- isn't determined by our right beliefs that contain in Romans through Revelation. It's really our belief and embrace in, in that message that's preached throughout the book of Acts. Hey there, welcome back. I think tomorrow is May, maybe today is May. By the time you're listening to this, it could be July. Who knows? Spring's in full swing. I can barely breathe because of the allergies, but I am down here in the basement, in my hole that I record these in, with my dog, and I'm really enjoying it. I hope that you're all well. I need you to do something for me, though. I need you to tell a friend on social media, and I need you to review and subscribe uh, to the show in whatever your app is that you do. Telling a friend somewhere about the show, why you like it, maybe giving them an episode, is one of the best ways to get new ears listening to the show. Do that for me if you would. I would appreciate it. This week I am joined by Tyler Ellis, who is someone that reached out to me on Twitter, and I watched his TED Talk quite a few times. Really enjoyed the talk. I really also enjoyed the conversation that we had, and so he did something really neat. He did something uh, that reminds me a lot of this show. He just sat and he talked to people about God, asked them what they thought, concerns, complaints, etc., and I think that he learned quite a bit, and I'm sure that they did as well. I hope that you like this conversation. Cue it up and let's go. Tyler Ellis, welcome to the show, man. And before... I ask you anything, I want to apologize. So I think, what are we at? Five months, four months, three months to figure out a time to do this. And a lot of that is because we're all busy. I forget about Twitter and Facebook and email. And then I dive back in. I'm like, oh, I should respond to everybody. And then it's overwhelming. So I just kind of. Yeah, no problem. I need a minute. So I don't have any uh, <laughs> issue uh, being persistent. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate your patience with me. So. Um, one of my favorite questions, and it's a question I ask everyone, but I try to take it from a different direction is if I was to say, Hey, what makes you, you like, I don't want that tried answer of, you know, like I'm a husband and I'm a father and I'm a, all that garbage. Like if you were to say, Hey, here's what's important to me. As I look back on life, here's what makes me, me, like, what would you want me to know? 
Well, I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's fair. That's the biggest part about me. Uh, I believe he uh, was real Mm -hmm. and is real. Mm -hmm. And here's my prayer. And as much as I get frustrated not being able to look him in the eye and hear his voice, you know, same with God, the Father, uh, I believe I will someday. Yeah. And so, and you know, I think God is probably equally frustrated as we are because I think when He He made people, He intended to have a face-to-face relationship with them, hmm. and uh, a bunch of stuff happened that uh, thwarted that temporarily. But He's working to restore that, and so it's interesting to consider, like you know, is God as frustrated as I am? I think He is. <laughs> probably. Yeah, I mean, because if we can have a frustrated emotion, that's a reflection of the emotion. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's an emotion that we have that he can't have or she can't have. I don't care what matter, what what pronoun you want to use. Um, yeah. I had an argument with someone the other day. They're like, you can't say God our mother. And I was like, you're aware that like most of those Hebrew terms are yeah. all feminine nouns. Like it's settle down, settle down. Like the word wisdom in Hebrew, like literally is a feminine word, like mama, almost. And he's like, I didn't know that. I was like, well, stop it. What, what are you so afraid of? So, um, yeah, so brought you on. So for those listening, hit pause because you have 10 minutes because you decided to download a 40 to 60-minute podcast, and so I know that you like to listen to things. So hit pause, go to the show notes. Tyler did a TED Talk, which is a big thing. You stood on the red circle. I mean, that's... Well, actually, you walked over it a lot. You didn't stand on it much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you kept going back and forth. So I want to hear the story of that. Like, how did they contact you? Um, Why did they do that? Like, how did all that happen? And then we can get to what you talked about and the art behind it and all those stories. That sounds fascinating. So there is a difference between TED and TEDx. Mm -hmm. I did a TEDx talk. So TED, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it, it started back in the 70s. Really? Is that old? Was, uh, yeah. Uh, Billy Graham even gave a TED Talk. Is that on uh, YouTube? It is. Oh, that's it's happening. Faith and Technology. That's happening right now. Yeah, well, not Rick right Warren now. did one on, on The Purpose Driven Life. He mm. sat in a chair the whole time. But mm. uh, I am in a, a very short line of people who've spoken about Christianity in a positive light and specifically Jesus on the Ted stage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Ted is an annual event, if I'm not mistaken, that you're invited to, whereas Ted X means independent. And those are events that can happen all over the world. And pretty much every day somewhere there's a Ted X talk. And those are still endorsed by Ted. They're on the Ted website. They're on Ted's YouTube channel with all 23 million subscribers. It's a lot of people. Um, But it's something that the speakers, the TEDx speakers, they actually submit applications to. And so I submitted about 40 applications from Texas to Australia, Ireland, and Germany, New York City, all over the world. And there's a school in Marshall called Marshall, Texas, mm-hmm. called Wiley College. 
It's a historically black college, a Methodist college. And they said yes. They invited me to be one of eight speakers uh, last October. I had to submit an application, a video that summarized my talk. And then some TEDx conferences, it's, it's, there's a lot of steps. There's auditions and interviews. And then there's a coach that works with you on a weekly basis. Uh, everyone's a little bit different. But, but yeah, it was not easy. I would say without going into details, there, were, there have been at least four major obstacles. Uh, one was before the talk. One was actually during the talk. Like doing it. Yeah. And then two have been since that talk. Yeah. Have been online. And all four of those almost prevented that talk from ever happening or uh, being recorded properly or even, you know, at the threat of being taken down. Yeah. So I, I don't really feel the freedom to share the details. Oh, you don't have to. Say, I feel like God's fighting for it. Yeah. I feel like there's a good message that is worth sharing and, uh, and all those obstacles. Uh, I just pray and trust God and, and it's still so you, there. So. You said eight speakers, right? Yes. Yeah. So were the other seven also all, since it's a, like, were they also all about religion and Christianity and Jesus no, or what no. were, like, what were they? Like, how did you fit into that mix? Yeah. So, um, mine was the only religious oriented talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a couple guys who spoke on race, and uh, there was a professor from Wiley College, and there was one that was about, um, it was called Breaking Up With Yourself. There was a professor who actually is at uh, another Christian school, but he, he spoke about being a bus driver back in the day, hmm. and uh, for what, 30 years maybe? And some of the stories of running into kids as adults, and so yeah, it was it was a every TED talk and every TEDx talk. That's what part of the appeal for the audience to come is to just get these very diverse and random talks. Yeah. There could be someone on stage, you know, beatboxing, <laughs> and there could be someone who pulls out a brain. From a, from a human's yeah, that's skull. Dis that's disgusting. You know, I would leave. So they're they're very diverse. <laughs> yeah, I have um. So uh, we 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 don't have cable at my house. We just have Roku's uh, because I can't afford a four hundred dollar Apple TV because they're insane. So um, the ch one of the, my favorite channels on there. There's a TED. I don't know if you know what a Roku is. I'm going to assume that people know what it is. You don't know what it is. So it's no. <laughs> it's like so if you don't want to pay like Xfinity or Cox or I don't know the name of the other, it doesn't matter, Verizon, like $400 a month just for the privilege of watching TV to record it on a DVR to watch it two weeks later and then realize, oh, I could have just paid Hulu $7 and done the exact same thing. So Roku is like um, a box that just plugs into the internet. And then anything on the internet is like its own app, almost like an iPhone. And so there's a TED app on the Roku. So I can literally hit TED and it just, I can just hit, there's all the categories there of their talks. Or you can just hit go, just hit ran, just make it happen. Um, I watch TED Talks all the time, learn so much. Two yeah. of my favorites, there's one kid, I think he's from Seoul, and he just started making bows, like literally walking in Korea and just making bows, and then gradually got better and better, started doing different woods, 
somehow or another it turned into a business but mostly he's like i don't even know why people pay me for this because i just really like i just needed something to do um and then there's another one where they talk about how language is evolving even to today and like when you know you say you kids with you know changing the words and blah 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 like there was a professor who's like that's the way language works and if you don't believe me let's just roll back 60 years 60 more years all the way back to like Socrates really getting upset about some of his students, which are famous philosophers and their lack and frivolousness with the language. <laughs> like it's not a new, like, so those are two of my favorite Ted talks. Yeah. Um, just, fun. but they just randomly popped up and I'm like this, you have my attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what made you want to do that? So you're pitching this idea to, you sh- I wish you'd have got Australia. Because they do they fly uh, yeah. you there or do you have to figure no, out how to get there? No, on your dime. That's it's you don't worth get paid it. to speak, but you got to get there. Huh? Yeah. That's, so why did you want to do that? Like, what was it that you're like? This needs to happen, and it needs to happen there. Well, I I have a desire to be. Uh, I've I've published one book, but I'd like to publish more. Mm. I'd like to um, be a keynote speaker. I work for a nonprofit that I could tell you about in a minute if you would like. And, but part of that involves me raising support kind of like a missionary would. Mm-hmm. And so I, my wife uh, homeschools our kids, but she does VIP kids. So she's waking up really early. And what is VIP kids? I'm not familiar with that. VIP kids is where American teachers and maybe other English speaking countries mm-hmm. will, um, teach English online to kids in primarily, I believe, China, but mm. I don't think it's limited to. But because of the time difference, uh, man, my wife has to wake up at like 4 a.m. And so uh, <laughs> she's recently found some uh, health issues that she has. And so I'd really love to be able to um, be able to support my family on one income. So there's some personal reasons like I need more income. Yeah. I like to be a speaker. I like to write books. But then there's the obvious, well, there's a message to those those keynotes and the book that I believe in. And I would do it whether I had to pay, yeah. whether I have made money. It's, you know, Ted's mantra is ideas worth spreading. Mm-hmm. And so I was a college minister for almost 15 years. At like a college or like uh-huh. for college age kids? At, at three different universities. Hmm. Yeah. And so I, I, I love apologetics. I love having coffee with people, asking them questions, hearing their questions, finding discerning a good starting point, going at their pace and just helping people investigate, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people make significant spiritual progress in a week. And I've met with people on a weekly basis for like two years. So uh, that's just what I love to do. So back when I was a college minister at the University of Delaware. That's the hens, right? Isn't that the hens? The blue hen, the fighting blue hens. Yes. (laughs) Such a great mascot. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) (laughs) That's where Joe Biden graduated. Is it really? I didn't know that. They have two famous Joes, Joe Biden and Joe Flacco. Oh, is he from there? That's probably the reason that I know that it's a hen. Played for the Ravens. Yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah. So, yeah, um, while I was at UD, I started this experiment 
where I interviewed 50 people. Most of them were college students, some were college professors. And in my TEDx talk, I share about what I call the unexpected adventures and the unexpected discoveries that I experienced through that two-year process. Mm -hmm. And so it was, what I would do is I'd interview them, ask them 20 questions, draw their portrait. And then oftentimes that was it. I would put it on a blog that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. And then people would read it. And the, the diversity of the people I interviewed, probably as diverse as the people on your podcast, people from uh, different parts of the world, you know, international students, mm -hmm. different religions, uh, irreligious people, agnostics, atheists. Uh, and so their beliefs and their backgrounds were just the whole gamut. And so it made it fun for people to read these interviews because I had each person sign a, a media consent form. Yeah. Gratefully. And I'd post the drawing that I did. And so when I thought about TED and the opportunity there, you know, they have 23 million subscribers on YouTube and it's a very well-respected platform. And I just got to thinking, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could stand in that red circle mm -hmm. and, and share this fascinating story that's pretty unique about, you know, most people haven't sat down with 50 strangers for an hour at a time bottom coffee and, and had some really amazing experiences. Some of those people became really special friends to me. And so through that story, I was also able to share about Jesus because a lot of my questions had to do with, you know, people's spiritual beliefs, the purpose of life, uh, what comes to mind when you think about heaven and hell mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. And so through that, uh, to answer your question, it's kind of a roundabout way <laughs> to say that. I just honestly, Seth really wanted to talk about Jesus yeah, because it hasn't been done, uh, not in an explicit way. Although on, on TEDx, you mean? Like, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Although my, my approach was indirect and it was tactful and, you might even say shrewd, but um, through stories, I got to kind of represent Christianity in a way that was stories about my response to their questions. Because one of the things that took place when I interviewed these 50 people was just about 50% of them, when the interview was over, said, well, hey, I want to interview you. Mm -hmm. can, can we meet up again? And that was one of my, what I call unexpected discoveries, yeah. was that these talks went so well, and a lot of people were articulating their beliefs for the first time, mm -hmm. and even some questions that might make you cringe if you were asked those questions by someone in a different setting, like say at work, standing around the water cooler, yeah. or at a family reunion, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, when I asked those questions across from the coffee table, surprisingly, people didn't cringe. They they opened up. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I had people actually cry. Why do you think it is that that like so you're expecting them to go, 
pull back. This is actually, I thought I signed up for this, but I can't do that. Like, why do you think that people were so willing? And I have to think that not everybody was willing immediately, but like, why do you think that some of them were, yeah, thanks for asking. Let's get into this. Like, what was it that you were doing that maybe most people don't when they're trying to talk about God? Well, it was a one-sided conversation. Um, They knew from the start, this is not a debate. This really isn't even a conversation because Tyler's going to ask questions Mm -hmm. and the floor is mine. He's curious. He's listening. Um, He's not thinking, he's not not listening because he's thinking of how to refute me when I'm, when I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so they just, it was neat for them to have a positive interaction with a Christian who genuinely cared. And so there was something about it, you know, coffee and artwork and um, questions. That combination, it's it's what I call three of my favorite things, Mm -hmm. coffee, art, and questions. That's the name of your next book right there. Yeah. You're done. You can take it. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> Something about it. You know, people just said yes. Mm. And like I say, they opened up. Some people would, people would conclude that hour by saying, that was one of the best conversations I've ever had. Yeah. Which is a funny thing to say when it wasn't actually a conversation. Right. Uh, and then, like I say, some people cried. Some people said, man, these are great questions. I never think about this stuff, but I should because it's important. And mm-hmm. I found my I, I found myself saying, I don't know, like a lot. And and I wish I did know. So what can I do next? Yeah. You know, and that's why a lot of people were like, Well, what's your take on this topic? You know, yeah. what comes to mind when you think about that? Yeah. And how did you arrive at that conclusion? Yeah. So how many so how did the reverse interview go? Because you don't really talk about that in your talk. So like, you know, it's, it's a month later, a week later, a day later. I don't know how many, it doesn't matter. Like, how did that go? Like, are they asking you, like, what are some of the questions? Like, are they asking you the same questions and just reverse? Like, how is that working? Sure. You know, I never had someone just say, bring those 20 questions and then I'll walk through it with you and treat mm-hmm. you for coffee. Actually, in the TEDx talk, um, right about in the middle of it, mm-hmm. I make the statement that about half the people I met with wanted to meet up again. And mm-hmm. be me. So I, I said the statement that uh, two of the most common questions that I got were, do you believe all paths lead to God? Mm-hmm. And how can one person's death enable another person's forgiveness? And so that was kind of a segue for me to actually share with the audience what I would share in those conversations at the coffee shop and so i shared one illustration for each of those questions um, and, and that was kind of a sampling of how some of those follow-up conversations went. Mm, mm. i want to ask a question so i wrote so i wrote my own questions and i've only read three or four of the ones that you sent me so okay. um i'll, re- I'll skim through them if, if one catches my eye but so do you have a thing in your talk and, and it's called i think you call it the mountain theory and then from memory basically you show a picture of like this huge black triangle and the very pinnacle of the triangle says God. I think it says God. Could say something else, yeah. but God could say Jesus. Could say yeah. I don't. Doesn't matter. Uh, and then you go down to the bottom and it, you draw like lines. Like if we're gonna hike up to the top of the mountain, like here's one path, two path, three path, four path. You know, alluding to what you did. But so when you begin redoing the image, 
you don't ever complete the mountain, like none of the paths in your image. Now, I'm aware that you only have like 10 or 12 minutes on the TEDx stage, but you never go past the first outcropping of the hikes, if that makes sense. Like none of those images, if memory serves, ever make it back to God. Although I'm certain that that's not what you're implying. But you also allude to that work is some work from somebody else, and I can't remember his name. Like, yeah. yeah. So where, where, what's in the middle there? Like, there must be something else there, or is it just a gap and the image is never finished? Yeah, I did that that on purpose. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, that illustration I adapted and tweaked and mm-hmm. kind of made my own, but I found it in Dan Kimball's book. They like Jesus, but not the church. Mm-hmm. I actually emailed him beforehand, and he, he gave me permission. But uh, so, yeah, that talk is called The Mountain Theory, and it responds to a, that question, do you believe all paths lead to God? And that's a pretty common belief, actually. Uh, there's quotes from Madonna, quotes from Oprah Winfrey, who propose that idea that all religions are basically the same, mm-hmm. and so they lead to the same God. So you know, let's stop the fighting. Let's be tolerant. Yeah. So I appreciate where that if they're coming from, that yeah, let's not fight, and let's appreciate the similarities. But also, you could take that too far, and avoid some of the uh, the problems with the theory. So what I presented was that the base of that mountain does have two two similarities the first is that yeah we pretty much all agree that there's a moral standard and that when we follow that moral standard we will experience peace mm-hmm. whether you're buddhist muslim christian you know whatever mm-hmm. hindu we 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 acknowledge this moral standard and, and the fact that, yeah, if we could live perfectly in line with that, we would experience peace in our lives and in the world. And yeah, Oprah's right. We, we have that similarity. Um, and then also there's another similarity that we, we kind of agree that we fail to live that out perfectly. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, then it leads to chaos mm-hmm. in a way. And so those are the similarities that really form the foundation, the base of that mountain. But they don't quite all lead all the way to the top. And so that's where I kind of cut the the mountain in half Mm -hmm. and share two significant differences. The first one is that these different religions are actually leading to different mountaintops. And I start with Buddhism, I believe, because... uh, it actually leads to no God at all. I used to have a roommate who, from Vietnam who was Buddhist and <clears throat> had never really met Buddhists and studied Buddhism. And so it was a surprise to me when he told me that most Buddhists are actually atheists. I was like, really? You know, because we kind of have in our country, in our culture, maybe a misconception, maybe, okay, mm-hmm. we call... You, you know, some people call Jesus God. Some people call Muhammad God. And so in, in Buddhism, they call him Buddha. Buddha is God. 
And that's just a misconception because Buddhism actually doesn't require, there's no necessity of God. And so when you follow the Buddhist path, it doesn't lead to a mountaintop where there's any God at the top of that mountain at all. And so I kind of walk through the different religions. You know, Buddhism leads to no God. Hinduism leads to many gods. The New Age way of thinking leads to this idea that um, everything is God. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I realize it's simplified for the illustration. Yeah. And then you have the, the three monotheistic religions at the end that even though they believe in one God, to get to that God, is it through Muhammad and the Quran? Is it through the, the Talmud or Moses? Is it through Jesus? And so that's the first difference that really kind of debunks that mountain theory that all paths lead to the same God. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing is, is the second difference is how do religions respond to the fact that we can't, that we don't have peace because we aren't perfect? How do religions respond to the chaos? What can be done about it? And so, again, from an from a outside perspective, in a way that almost appears to be a third similarity, because religions are about um, tilt, you know, tilting the scale, outweighing your, your evil with good. Mm-hmm. And so it's this works-based uh, performance-oriented approach, uh, karma, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but when you look closely, even though it's the same mentality, the particulars are still particular to that religion. Yeah, There may still be the essence of the Ten Commandments, but it also may be unique to, for example, in Mormonism, you might need to be baptized you know, getting baptized for your dead ancestors or being married in the temple or going on a mission, you know, so that you don't just go to the lowest level of heaven, but the, the celestial glory, you know. And so there's these particulars that seem to be similar, but yet they're different. Yeah. But the, what's unique about true Christianity is that it's not based on obtaining peace through our merits. Because, you know, we, we believe that we can't appease the justice of God by our merits. Hence the need for Jesus, who was this perfect person who was our substitute and paid the debt for us, whom we trust. Mm-hmm. And so then at the end of the talk, uh, that's when I touch on, well, where do good works fit? in Christianity. There's so much I want to touch on there. So part of the reason that I think a lot of people like this show is I will ask a question and give all the space in the world for answers. Um, and then I usually don't I dig further as I need to, but um, I like to let people wrestle with the questions that they would want to ask you themselves. Because I think there's, um, I think there's a, 
I think we all learn something as we use those questions. So what did you learn specifically? Like, what did you, uh, so I'm going to use a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor, like, where she's like, you know, I can see truth in Islam and I can find truth in all these other religions, but it's Jesus that I come home to. I think that's actually an explicit quote from her most recent book. Um, although she's a prolific writer, so maybe I missed a book. doesn't matter. Um, so as you're talking with these 50 people, and from what I remember on the slides, like not all of them are Christian, many of them aren't. but Majority were not. Yeah. So what did you learn about God through their religion? As they're talking or answering your questions, and you're like, you know, that actually is beautiful. And that sounds entirely Christ-like, you know, where you're like, mm, that's new, but that sounds like Jesus to me. Like, is there anything that you're, you, you, you left and you were like, I'm gonna have to chew on that. Yeah. You know, I would have to, I know that I learned things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as giving you a list of specific, specific mm-hmm. things that, that would be hard for me. Yeah being put on the spot but i could easily Fair enough get back through those interviews and yeah. make a list for you i do remember one of the people i interviewed was a jewish rabbi mm. and who became a friend and man it was just so refreshing to hear him speak about god uh, of course jews and christians view god as the same god uh of the old testament and the kind of part ways of the new testament mm-hmm. where jesus fits into the picture mm-hmm. but just hearing them speak about this god that i believe in and i love i believe loves me he's my creator he's my parent and he he you already mentioned you know he she whatever but sure. it's it, it's our parent it's our creator mm-hmm. god and and god describes himself as our, as our father and there are those mother passages and we're, we're made, he, God made people in his image, you know, both male and female. Mm-hmm. And so it was refreshing and it, it, it drew, it touched my heart and it drew me closer to God, mm-hmm. seeing people's sincerity, seeing people's devotion. I mean, I met people who honestly were more devout than I am. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of steps on your toes and it kind of challenges you. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, you know, it drew me closer to God, wanting me to know God more, to be more devoted and just hearing the, the different perspective. Yeah. You said a phrase a minute ago, and I want to, I want you to go further on that for me. And then I do want to talk about your art um, because I, so I went to school for art and then I realized I hated it and I didn't, couldn't make any money at it. And Sally Mae doesn't care if you make any money cause you have to pay those loans back. So um, I still like to draw a lot. Like um, it doesn't matter anyway. So a minute ago you said true Christianity, you know, the goal of true Christianity or the heart of true Christianity. I can't remember exactly what you yeah. said. What do you mean when you say true Christianity? Like what are you defining as that? Because I feel like that is a, a two really big words. Yeah, you're right. Well, let me just go back to First Corinthians 15, mm-hmm. where Paul said to the church in Corinth, uh, he refers to the gospel as first importance. And then he defines the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
So I love that phrase because I believe that if, if something's true, it's true. So all truth is equally true, but not all truth is equally important. Some truth is more important than other truth. And here in 1 Corinthians, he said, this is of first importance, of most importance. And so true Christianity, I believe, is is the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the apostles preached in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of looking at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because it's almost, you know, what people say on their, quote, deathbed when, when they have a little time to think. It really represents what's most important to them. Uh, I actually had that experience myself two years ago, uh, almost to the month where I was in the hospital for two and a half weeks, mm. had some blood clots, oh, no. my kidneys were failing. It was crazy. I had perfect health my whole life. And so, yeah, I had that, that scary conversation with my wife. It was kind of like my will, you know, like if I die, here's what, here's what I want for our kids. Here's what I want for you, my wife. And so when I look at, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I love to just study the last things Jesus said. And he was empowering these these, uh, 11 guys to go into the world and share this message. And so then when you come to Acts, it's the apostles acting out what we call the Great Commission. It's their actions. And so everything that we read them doing shows us how they interpreted Jesus' last words because they went out and did what he said to do. And and so I love making note of what did the apostles preach Mm -hmm. and and noting what did they not preach. And so what they preached was the death, burial, and resurrection. Everywhere they went, starting in Jerusalem, you know, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, Acts 1-8, that was their, their, their plan. And so that every chance they had to talk, to preach to this audience, Jew, Gentile, you know, Athens, Mars Hill, it was all about Jesus. And, and so it, like I said, if you make notes on what they preached, and that that take up like one page in a notebook, mm-hmm. and then you can devote the rest of the notebook to what they didn't preach, and pretty much what you would have is uh, Romans through Revelation, because that's where that belongs. Mm. We don't uh, our relationship with God isn't de- isn't determined by our right beliefs that contain in Romans through Revelation. It's really our belief and embrace in, in that message that's preached throughout the book of Acts, yeah. which is the result of what Jesus told them to preach. Yeah. And so just keeping all that in perspective, I know this is a long answer, but I love Ephesians 4, mm-hmm. because Ephesians 4 talks about two types of unity. Yeah, this, was, this was just such an epiphany when I first heard this. So Ephesians 4 opens up by talking about what's called the unity of the spirit 
And it talked about that as a present reality in Ephesus. Paul tells them, hey, you have the unity of the spirit. In other words, you have the spirit. She has the spirit. Everyone in this church has the, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, guard that. Keep that. Mm. Fight for that. Yeah. That is what makes you in relationship with God. That's what makes you in relationship with other people who yeah. have a relationship with God. Yeah. You are united through that spirit because of your faith in one Lord, one faith, one baptism right there in Ephesians 4. Mm. Then he goes on in Ephesians 4 to, to talk about, he uses a different phrase. It's called the unity of the faith. And that was not a present reality because he says Jesus gave gifts to the church. Some of those gifts are evangelists and teachers and pastors. And the purpose of those gifts is to build up and equip the church until we arrive at the unity of the faith. Hmm. We have not arrived at that unity. Right. And so the danger is, is when we blur those lines and we, we try to have unity with people on things other than Jesus. And we act like all this unity of the faith category, which is everything beyond Jesus, is equally as important. Mm -hmm. And so we draw lines and we create different... Uh, you know, the whole history yeah. of denominations and yeah. attitudes have changed yeah. over the years. But uh, that was a big lesson for me to learn because yeah. I had been the guy who mixed that up and who viewed people not as true Christians and true Christianity yeah. that, that was beyond Jesus stuff. It yeah. was more the particulars of what do I believe about women's roles and, and worship and the end times and, Mm -hmm. miracles and and on go the list those are important and we have the new testament for a reason but and we can't like base our fellowship with other christians on things that god doesn't base his fellowship with us mm. on yeah so yeah hopefully that answers you no question. i like it um i want to ask for your patience one more time so i think he probably has has growing pains um he's spread yeah, it up no like problem. i'm gonna grab him some tylenol real quick if you can give me 80 seconds and then yeah. I'll, I'll, pop, I'll, be, I'll be right back. So here we are. Is this going to be edited? <laughs> he said he didn't know how to edit video. So we'll see what happens. It's just you and me. Hmm. Well, let me show you a picture. <clears throat> Check this out. I'm a big Norman Rockwell fan. And here's a picture of Norman Rockwell painting Bing Crosby. Two of my favorite guys. I love his music. I love his art. And they're all together. One painting the other. That was for a movie called Stagecoach. And uh, fun fact, Norman Rockwell was an extra in that movie. He played a, a drunkard in a bar. So you're going to edit that part out? Do what? You're going to edit that part out? I have no idea. Oh, me getting out? Uh, not out of the video. I don't know how. But I'll, I'll edit it out of the <laughs> audio. Um, 
Yeah, there was one, uh, the first time I ever, sorry, the first one I ever had to edit out a, a kid, I record a lot, so I work at a bank, and so, like, I will record, like, three on, like, President's Day, and Martin Luther King, because I, I have, the, but the kids are here, too, and um, so I was interviewing, he's a guy in text, Luke Norsworthy, about a book. Yeah, about, um, yeah. yeah, I know of him. Yeah, and, and so we were talking and joking, because we're both from Texas, having a good time. And I forget what I needed to do, but I was trying to talk to the kids like without saying anything. And um, and he was like, guys, I'm just going to narrate this for you. So Seth is like telling his son to steal third, but but I don't know. He's asking him to bunt. Like, I forget exactly what he said, but he's like <laughs> trying to give. I was like, you're such a punk. Don't make me laugh. He's like, and so I let him, you know, whatever. It happens. It's life. Yeah, but yeah, funny. no, I'm not editing it out of this because I don't I don't know how to edit it out of the video. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna pivot to art. Before I do, I wanna respond a bit. So you were talking about like when we draw lines about dogma, yeah. And so people will sometimes ask me like, what is the whole point of Christianity? Although I think my answer is slightly different. Um, my answer is always when we draw lines, whatever side of the line I'm standing on, whoever's being oppressed, that's the side that Christ is on, and that's a problem. Wherever I drew the line, and they're the problem. Christ always appeared on the other side of the line throughout scripture, wherever you said he couldn't be, that's where he was. Mm -hmm. And so the goal for me of Christianity is, all right, how do I either move the line, remove the line, build a bridge over the line, jump on the other side of the line, even if I'm uncomfortable, um, and just love on those people because wherever I draw lines, that's where Jesus always is. Um, but that's it for me. A good mentor of mine once said, if you're going to determine that someone's not a Christian mm -hmm. who claims to be, or, you know, there's the whole subject in the Testament of, of disfellowship, mm -hmm. a Christian is actually held accountable for sin. And, you know, if they're not repentant, what should the church do? That's a whole topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also like church Christians who disagree theologically. So you might have one church that just says, yeah, you know, we don't take that stance here. And if you if you're gonna be divisive, then you can just go. Mm -hmm. So my mentor said, you know, if you're ever gonna determine someone needs to go, it better be with a tear in your eye. Mm. And he said, sometimes we condemn a person to hell on less evidence than a judge would condemn someone to a life in prison. Mm. And I always remembered that. Like, is there a tear in our eye? Are we just these proud people mm. like, oh, I, I act the right way. I believe the right way. They don't. So, you know, mm -hmm. I can't fellowship with them. So there's many ways to read scripture. And so I can make scripture be right for whatever way I need it to be. Um, I mean, history is littered with that from, you know, abolitionists to from everything. Like you can make it be whatever it needs to be. Um, and heaven and hell are much larger topics. Oddly enough, those are the most popular topics of the show. Like two, couple on atonement, four or five on heaven and hell, and those continue to be the most popular episodes. Um, which I'm, my views of heaven and hell are entirely—I don't know—they're not normal. I think they are normal, but they're definitely not the normal in Virginia, anyway. So, um, yeah. So I want to talk to you a bit about the art, like yeah. so. Um, I like that you're drawing pictures of people, but I don't know how you're focusing on them while you're doing that. What did you just like snap a picture and do it later? Like, how does that actually yeah. work? Yes. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Um, Cause yeah, I can I see you going, talk to me about God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I was actually, so I recorded the, the interviews mm-hmm. and then I would go later on and I would type out what they said. Mm-hmm. That was kind of tedious. I'm sure there's software nowadays that could have done that for me. Oh, but I totally understand that. I've transcribed, um, 70 something episodes of this show. The goal is to transcribe them all. Yeah. 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 So I'm with you. I got to a point where I would pay college students 10 bucks to do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) And they like that. So, so I, I I recorded it. I would type it and then I I would end the interview by taking their picture. Mm -hmm. And then, so later on in my own time, I would draw that portrait. So why, why, what made you want to do that? Like, how does that affect the interview like why why does that need to happen for you the portrait well i once had a friend of mine an old youth minister tell me in high school when i went off to college he says hey you have a gift of art don't bury it Mm. and he was kind of using that metaphor of the whole you know uh, uh the master or whatever you would call him who gave his servants some yeah the talents Talent, yeah, yeah. invested it. This other person did a little less stuff, and then one guy just buried it because I know that yeah. you'd be so upset if I lost. I was like, "What's wrong with you? You took yeah. no risk. This is not what I meant to do." Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my 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 friend was just saying, you know, God's given you a gift, don't bury it. Mm-hmm. And so I had done some art school, and then I went from high school before college. I did a two and a half year apprentice missionary program. So I lived in Samoa in the South Pacific Mm -hmm. for over a year and then spent six months in Sydney, Australia. And yeah, so years went by without drawing, doing anything artistic. And one day I just remembered, maybe I was reading that story and I was like, oh, I buried it. I buried it. I got to dig it up. And so when I came up with that idea of interviewing people, it really was like, how can I bring together some of my favorite things Mm. to make this fun? So it's like, I love questions. I love coffee. I love art. Yeah. And back in high school, I had come across this small picture book by Picasso, Pablo Picasso. And it was these one line drawings. One was a horse, one was a dog, one was a clown. And they were very simple. Mm-hmm. And so one line, one continuous line is where you just put your pen on the page and you draw without taking your pen off the page. It's very challenging. And so I did those in high school and loved it. I still have the first one I ever did of this woman serenading a little girl playing the the uh, the violin. And so I thought, you know, that's really unique. You don't see that very often. And I'd really like to just practice doing portraits like that. And so it was neat because I really think that the artwork helped the interviews, first of all, get set up in the first place. Because when I asked people whether it was in person or mostly through email, and I told them I'd be doing that, I think some people were just really fascinated by that, wanted mm-hmm. to you know, get a, that portrait. I would send them a copy. Just the other day, like last week, I was on LinkedIn, and I, it, you know, like, kind of like friend suggests people. Yeah, that's somebody's profile. And, yeah. So, yeah, there was an old, <laughs> old friend I interviewed, haven't talked to him since. And he had my one-line portrait as his That's profile cool. picture on That's LinkedIn. Cool. So people, I think it helped them to say yes to the interview. Mm-hmm. It also uh, helped people want to read the interviews. 
because they, they like to see the art as well. Are those still all out there on a blog? No, or any, okay. No, they're not. Yeah. I still have all the files and everything. Yeah. And I incorporated, so as you know, the, the artwork, I quoted a lot of those people mm-hmm. in the TEDx talk and, and showed the art of those portraits. And so, you know, I have practiced really hard. Just the other day, I drew Justin Bieber for the heck of it. <laughs> uh, I, I was hoping maybe to send it to him through Twitter with the link to my TED Talk, you know, because uh-huh. you may know of his recent profession of faith mm-hmm. and kind of working through his childhood concepts of Jesus and to a more uh, uh, founded, personally investigated conclusion about jesus and so i thought i think my talk would resonate with him so i'll draw him and maybe he'll find it and see it and watch it and share it and well then a hundred million people in the world would would hear about it if right. he retweeted it um so so far he hasn't found it but um, <laughs> send it to him who maybe he'll want to put it on a t-shirt and sell it at his concert yeah but, who knows but anyway that just drawing justin bieber that took me seven hours hmm because I had rough drafts and sketches and it, it wasn't just that I sat down and, and scribbled out that line, but you know, I planned it. I planned the line so that it actually looks like the person and, and involves some measurements and things, but, but I really enjoy it. Uh, hmm. I know I'm giving you more than you asked for, but uh, I actually recently got in touch with a studio in California that has a licensing agreement with DC comics. And they have decided to work with me, hire me, partner with me in drawing DC comic characters with one line. That's fun. Yeah. So we're still working out the details, but that's super cool to, again, um, uproot that gift mm-hmm. that was buried mm-hmm. and, and actually use it for, for God, use it for good, mm-hmm. which is really what all of us are, are expected to do with the things God entrusts to us, you know, tearing down that whole secular sacred divide, that dichotomy saying, Hey, you know, I have this gift of singing or, you know, whatever, building stuff. And I can find a way to, you know, sew or or bake and, and use it for good. Yeah. We were at, um, so my son had a basketball tournament, uh, which they didn't win. Second place. That happens though. Regular season champs, tournament runner-ups. But um, so my daughter, uh, my, my seven-year-old, she colors, if you give her a pen, she'll color the wall. But she's really good, actually. Like she draws pictures. She's extremely artistic. They just had like career day yesterday and she made like an apron with art all over it. Like that's what she wants to do is art or teach art or it's just what she wants to do. Um, loves it. And, uh, and being that, so I don't know what it's called, but it's where you take a pen that will lay down ink real easy and you basically just do the dots. Uh-huh. I don't know if, I don't know what it's actually, my, my art teacher called it pointillism. I don't think that's actually yeah, what it's that, called. That might be what it's, called. what it's called. Yeah. So I did that a lot in high school just cause it takes so much time and, and just a lot of patience, which I don't have. And so it stretched me, but, um, she brought like a coloring book. We, we go to the book fair and you'll find like a massive 400 page thing full of just, you know unicorns or a river with the sun coming up like just a lot of hard solid lines so i was like rip me one out and i'll color it and uh, give me some random colors and she gave me one with the sunrise coming up 
And I did that while we were there waiting for the other game to finish. And at the end, she was like, how do you make that look like that? Because I had blended all the colors because I'm doing one dot at a time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's not fair. You know how to do all this stuff. And I don't, I'm like, do you want me, you want me to show you? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's fun. Yeah, art, art is fun. Um, so I had referenced at the beginning that I wanted to ask you a question because I'm asking it to everybody. So, um, and you've alluded to this, but I'd like you to go bigger if you can, because there will be people listening that are not Christian. Um, it's one of my things that I love. There are atheists that listen. There are people that are not Christian. That listen. There's also Christians that listen. It doesn't matter. So when you're saying the word God, so you're talking with a Hebrew friend, a Jewish friend, um, a Muslim friend, a Sikh friend, uh, somebody in the elevator, and you've got just a few minutes, you're like, yeah, so I want to try to tell you about God, and here's what I mean. What do you say? Well, yeah, I already did mention, um, I believe God is our creator. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll even ask, I have three little girls, mm-hmm. and uh, when they were all, well, one to their ages, um, almost four, and then six and eight. Mm. And when they're all around the age of three, I would ask them, do you know who God is? Mm. And it's fun just to hear how they answer that. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they would just say, um, can you tell me? <laughs> right. And so I would always, the first thing I would say is, God made you. He's the one who made you. Mm. That's who God is. Mm. And he also loves you. Yeah. And so I love to keep it that simple. No, that's great. Is he's the God. God is the one who made me, mm-hmm. knows me, and loves me. Mm. But, you know, on the college campus, to go a little deeper, I, I noticed something, even in my interviews, Seth, was I would ask, one of my questions is, what comes to mind when you think about God? Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of diverse responses and and even people who were atheists i would say well have you always not believed in god and a lot of times people say well i was raised you know this or that catholic Lutheran, whatever i said well what would come to what would have come to mind when you were a child and so inevitably it comes out and a lot of times it's actually a negative picture Mm when people think about God. And then interestingly, I would ask him, what comes to mind when you think about Jesus? And predominant, actually almost all, if not a hundred percent of those responses, whether people actually believe he's a real historical figure or not, it was positive. Mm-hmm. And so it was really neat to be able to say, Jesus says in John 14, nine, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so in other words, he's saying, if you want to know what God's like, follow me around, Mm -hmm. listen to what I say, watch what I do. Like you were saying before, look at the, the, the people that I defended, look at how I reacted in death and grief. Look at the things I stood for or opposed and look how I respond to people. Every glimpse of me that you get is showing you a glimpse of God. Now, for me to conclude that, you know, is, is not, you know, it's based on me and the, my belief that the New Testament is historically reliable, which 
is not based on circular reasoning because he says so, but you know, applying the, the laws of historiography, the criteria that historians use to determine, did this really happen? A lot of people don't even know what that criteria is. And hence a long time I didn't either. But uh, one of my, you know, earlier you were asking like, what happened, what did this, these interviews lead to for myself? Mm-hmm. And one of those things is it drove me to apologetics. Mm. It's like the people in my interviews, when I asked them a question they didn't know, they wanted to know. Sometimes they'd ask me questions that, that I didn't know. And it drove me to want to know. And yeah. really it led me to, to apologetics. You know, what are the reasons we have to trust the New Testament? for example. And so when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that's coming from the mouth of a man who uh, fulfilled messianic prophecy, who would go on to resurrect from the dead, who lived a sinless life. And so if he says, look at me and you'll see what God's like, that was always fun to tell people who have a positive view of Jesus and a negative view of God to say, hey, Jesus said, I came to reveal who God is. And there's a verse in Hebrews 1 about how he is the exact representation Mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a little bit more depth on on your... Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, I want to say one more thing to that. So I often, so I get that response quite a bit. Uh, and then it usually will come, so I'm not fundamentalist in any way, shape, or form. Um, if if you've ever listened to any of the other episodes for anyone else listening as well, I am definitely, if, if there's anyone that's like, hey, Tyler's on, so let's, let's do this. Like, let's, 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 let's listen. Um, yeah. And so I'll have people throw proof texts at me. And then I will always respond. Jesus also said, you keep searching the scriptures in them thinking that you'll find God, but you're not because you're not seeing me. Um, yeah. Cause one time, uh, so there's, cause there's multiple versions of the Bible multiple versions of the new Testament. Um, there's just multiple versions, so it's, but that's an, that's a whole different two hour conversation. And I want to give you back to your wife and thank her for her time. <laughs> um, so where would you point people? So you've got the YouTube, but where do they go to just kind of laser focus into all the places for you? Where would you yeah. send them? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. So be Tyler Ellis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I mentioned behind the scenes, mm-hmm. Tyler Ellis is already taken by Perry Ellis's daughter who started her fashion line. Just buy so, it from her. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so my middle name is Tyler. My first name is Brent. And so I found, hey, B. Tyler Ellis, uh, that's available. And so yeah, that's my handle on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, LinkedIn, but also btylerellis.com. And Perfect. You can go there, find the TEDx talk. Um, I, have, I, I do speaking, so I have a speaker kit people can find. I'm working on a discussion guide for the, the TEDx. But, uh, That's fun. That's good. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. It is hard to believe that the year is more than a quarter gone. Actually, that's not that hard to believe. The older that I get, time seems to just accelerate. It's insane. I don't even know that April happened. Like I know that it should have happened, but I feel like it didn't. The world's a crazy mess right now. There are many, many ways that you can support the show so you can tell a friend you can rate and review all of that stuff you can shoot me some feedback at can i say this at church at gmail.com or you can join the 55 other people again the goal is about 100 and then the goal will get bigger that's just how goals work 
Uh, but you can join people like Shane Wright that have popped over onto Patreon. And there's a lot going on there. You get discounts on a bunch of things in the store, uh, extra versions of the show, blog posts, uh, a whole bunch of things there. And you should do that. So go to the website, click on the button, make it happen, tell your friends. And so again, this week, the Salt of the Sound and their beautiful music has become the backbone of this show. And I'm so thankful for them their music and their willingness to allow me to use it. I'll talk with you next week. Be blessed, everybody.